0: From Washington, VOA presents
1: Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week via Skype are VOA Congressional Correspondent Catherine Gibson and Marketplace Correspondent Nancy Marshall-Genzer. Welcome, Nancy and Catherine. Well, here are the issues. President Biden calls on lawmakers to raise the federal government's self-imposed borrowing limit without conditions. Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has said his chamber will not approve any deal that doesn't cut spending to address a growing budget deficit. The Biden administration is set to dramatically limit asylum in the wake of the expiration of Title 42, rolling out a new rule that mirrors a Trump-era policy requiring migrants to first seek and be denied asylum in another country before attempting to do so in the U.S. And former President Donald Trump took the stage Wednesday night for a sit-down with news organization CNN appearing at the network's town hall one day after a jury found he sexually abused writer E. Jean Carroll in 1996. Republican Congressman George Santos pleaded not guilty to 13 criminal charges hours after federal prosecutors formally accused him of misleading donors and misrepresenting his finances to the public and government agencies. U.S. diplomats told lawmakers they are cautiously optimistic that Sudan's warring factions will agree to a temporary humanitarian ceasefire during peace talks in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Ukraine's state-owned nuclear power plant operator warned that Russia planned to evacuate more than 3,000 workers from the town that serves the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. The warning said that there is now a catastrophic lack of skilled personnel at the facility, which is Europe's largest nuclear power plant. Those are the issues, and let's get started. Well, President Biden and top Republican lawmakers met as a deadlock over raising the $31.4 trillion U.S. debt limit, threatens to push the country into an unprecedented default in as soon as three weeks if Congress does not act. So, Nancy, the two sides will continue to meet. But in the meantime, time is running out. Oh, it certainly is. U.S. Treasury Secretary
0: Janet Yellen said the U.S. will run out of money to pay its bills in early June. That's because tax receipts were a bit lower than expected. Just backing up a little bit, the debt limit has to be raised or suspended by Congress when the U.S. butts up against the debt limit. And officially, we hit the debt limit in January But since then, Treasury has been scrounging for extra cash under the couch cushions and limping along and paying our bills. But those temporary measures are going to run out in early June. And after that, if Congress doesn't raise or suspend the debt limit, we won't be able to pay our bills. And it's important to emphasize that these are commitments the U.S. has already made. It's things like Social Security payments, veterans' disability payments, payments on treasury bills. So it's not like this is new money we're spending. This is just paying up and making good on our IOUs.
2: Right. And I think it's also important to note that this is something that the U.S. Congress has regularly done in the past with very little disagreement. It's only really in recent years during the administration of former President Barack Obama, that it really became kind of a partisan standoff and required negotiations. Before that, Congress just simply went ahead and raised the ceiling. Then it became an issue between the parties It was raised, I believe, three times during the presidency of former President Donald Trump. And now, of course, we're seeing these very intense negotiations between President Biden and Speaker McCarthy. It's really become a political standoff when in past years it just simply was not. It was something that was just done to keep the United States running.
0: Catherine, just dovetailing on what you were saying back in 2011, when Obama was president, the U.S. came so close to defaulting because Congress and the White House couldn't agree on a deal to raise or suspend the debt limit that the U.S. credit rating was actually lowered. And that meant that we had to pay more to borrow money for a long time after that, even though we didn't actually default. And it's already starting to cost the U.S. more to borrow treasury bonds that the U.S. sells in order to borrow money to pay our debts. We're having to pay a higher rate of interest on treasury bonds that would mature in the month of June, right around this uncertain period. So it's already costing its money.
1: Yes. And also President Biden did not rule out eventually invoking the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. This is an untested approach that would seek to declare the debt limit unconstitutional and doing so would require litigation. But he said that it's an option he may study in the future. So what would be the ramifications in doing this?
0: Well, it would end up in the courts. And Biden himself said it would have to be litigated. And In his words, he would still end up in the same place. So he said he was considering the use of this, but it doesn't sound very likely. And just as a reminder, this 14th Amendment states that the public debt of the United States, quote, shall not be questioned.
2: And speaking from my perspective up on Capitol Hill, I think what I'm hearing is that there's a sense that the White House has been watching how Republican leadership negotiates with its own members on issues. And what's ended up happening is that Republican leadership has said, you know, no, we won't budge on this and this and this point. But eventually at you know the last minute, they do indeed end up budging on some of those points with some of their more conservative members. And if you broaden that out and look at this debt issue, what they're anticipating is that Republican leadership will indeed budge at the last moment, rather than risk destroying the full faith and credit of the United States, throwing the global economy into chaos, that they will play a game up until the last moment. And that's what the White House is betting on, is that Republican leadership will ultimately blink.
1: So hopefully they will get this resolved as soon as possible. And in looking at the expiration of Title 42, the Trump era public health restrictions during the COVID-19 pandemic, what does the Biden administration intend on implementing to help with the situation at the U.S.-Mexico border? Well, this is a
0: new rule that would pretty much deny asylum to migrants if they haven't first sought protection in another country that they passed through on their way to Mexico's border with the U.S. Now, there would be some exceptions if somebody had a medical emergency or, you know, a threat of violent crime like a murder. They could fear that they would be murdered or kidnapped if they were forced to return to their native country. Children traveling alone would also be exempted from that. But the Biden administration is trying to advertise that it will be tough and it's not like all of a sudden people will be able to get into the U.S. very easily. But it's not clear how successful they're going to be in discouraging people.
2: And we're seeing a predictable response up on Capitol Hill, you know, Democrats saying that this is going to be incredibly difficult for migrants coming into the United States, that this is just complicated and already difficult procedure. And Republicans, on the other hand, saying that this is long overdue, that, you know, Speaker McCarthy was claiming this was one of the highest apprehensions ever on the border as thousands of people try to get in before this new rule is instituted and saying that, you know, it's long overdue. House Republicans are passing their own immigration legislation this week that has absolutely no chance of passing the Democratic-controlled U.S. Senate, but still is kind of staking out where they stand on immigration, making it much, much harder to get visas, making it much, much harder to come in the border, and renewing the building of that border wall that was started by former President Donald Trump. So we're really focusing on immigration this week on Capitol Hill. It's come once again back into the spotlight, even though, as we've seen time and time again, we never really seem to be able to reach any kind of agreement on comprehensive immigration legislation. It's just too much of a hot-button political issue. And the Biden administration
0: admits that this Section 8 rule that it's implementing is hardly perfect. And it says Congress needs to fix what it calls the broken immigration system. In the State Department sent out what it calls a fact sheet that said Congress also needs to fully fund the administration request. Apparently, according to the State Department, Congress only gave it half of the $4.9 billion it requested for border security. But it is sending additional troops to the border eventually 1,500 additional troops. There are 24,000 agents, it says. It's also expanding what it calls holding capacity for people who cross the border by more than 50%. It says it's going to scale up the number of weekly removal flights with the flights doubling or tripling for some countries. So the administration is trying to act like it's prepared, but there will be an awful lot of people crossing the border now.
1: Yes, and the number of migrants has already been on the rise, and detention facilities have reached capacity. Local authorities at the border are concerned, so they're hoping that these measures from the Biden administration will be sustainable. Well, in another development, a jury found Donald Trump liable for sexually abusing advice columnist E. Jean Carroll in 1996, awarding her $5 million in a judgment. And Trump appeared the following day on a live town hall on CNN. So how will this verdict and judgment affect Trump's run for president?
2: Well, you know, having covered Trump voters during the 2016 election, when we had numerous allegations of sexual assault, we had the so-called Access Hollywood tape where Trump bragged about being able to sexually assault women. I know that in speaking to Trump voters across the United States, those allegations did not really make much of a difference in their decision to vote for him. So when we talk about Trump voters, there is a hardcore, you know, 20, 25, even maybe 30% who will not budge from their support for the former president. And I think the situation isn't any different. You know, if anything, It really is just hardened their resolve over this span of years to support the former president. And I think you're going to be seeing those supporters really digging in and saying what the president says is that it's a witch hunt against him and that he's been falsely accused to impact his new presidential run. You know, really, I don't think it budges public opinion all that much.
0: And it appears that in 2016, voters really didn't seem to care about that Access Hollywood tape that came out where President Trump bragged about being able to carry out unwanted sexual advances. He said, if you're a star, you can do that. He was asked about that at the CNN town hall and continued to say he had the perfect right to do that because he was, as he calls himself, a star. He also continued to insist that he didn't know Eugene Carroll. And of course, she just won her case against him. He was found liable and she was awarded $5 million. I believe he said he'll appeal. But yeah, it seems like voters, at least Trump supporters, kind of shrugged this stuff off.
1: Well, and it's not going to really stop. For instance, in Georgia, an Atlanta area district attorney is considering charging Trump and his allies over pressuring state officials to change the 2020 election results there. And a federal special counsel, Jack Smith, is investigating efforts to overturn the election and raise money off false claims of election fraud, as well as his mishandling of classified materials. So it seems that the American public will have to decide if Trump as a candidate for president, is really worth all the drama.
2: Right. And, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of that CNN town hall here in the United States, but reportedly the White House was actually pleased by it. They feel like Trump gave them an entire hour's worth of campaign material bragging about sexual assault, insulting Carol, you know, saying that he would pardon January 6 rioters, really giving American voters pretty comprehensive preview of what a second term under him would be like. So they really think that Trump gave them a lot of material that was quite damning. So they're making that argument that in a way it was helpful.
1: Yes, and I also wanted to mention a Republican U.S. Congressman George Santos was arrested in New York on charges of fraud, money laundering, theft of public funds, and making false statements to the House of Representatives. Just a little bit of background on him. He was elected in last November's midterm congressional elections. His victory flipped a Long Island district previously held by a Democrat, helping Republicans to regain control of the House. So from a political perspective, What does his arrest mean?
2: Well, it puts Speaker
1: McCarthy in a
2: difficult position because, as we know, he has a very slim margin in the U.S. House of Representatives, only a couple, a handful of seats control to pass legislation that Republicans support. So having Santos out of the picture just makes his numbers even more difficult. But when he was asked about the Santos arrest, he said that he had to, you know, look at the charges, wasn't really familiar with them, and wouldn't commit to expelling Santos from the House of Representatives. That is a very unusual move. I think only two members have been expelled from the House in recent decades. So it, it really puts everyone in a little bit of limbo while this process plays out. It'll be a difficult position for Republicans. They'll be asked about this quite a bit on Capitol Hill in the coming weeks. And voters are
0: really not happy. They feel like they have no representation right now. But it is important to remember Santos is hardly the first member of Congress to be indicted and to continue serving while indicted. They've all had different outcomes. Some have been found innocent and continued serving even today. But these are pretty serious charges against Santos. You know, he is accused of falsely claiming unemployment benefits in the summer of 2021. When he was working, he said he wasn't. And the Justice Department says he got more than $24,000 from the state of New York, even though that time he was employed by a Florida investment firm. He's also accused of taking contributions from donors and using them for things like designer clothes and paying off personal debts and giving money to what the Justice Department calls his associate's So he's up against some pretty serious charges and voters are upset. And as they become more vocal, they'll be pretty hard to ignore.
1: Yes, so we will have to see the ramifications of his arrest, really, as you mentioned, on the voters, the people. So it's time now for a quick break. And when we return, continued fighting in Sudan is causing widespread human suffering and devastation. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com slash issues. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype. VOA Congressional Correspondent Catherine Gibson and Marketplace correspondent Nancy Marshall-Genzer. Well, the crisis in Sudan has generated an unprecedented number of casualties and human suffering. And Catherine, members of Congress, they held a hearing on the crisis in Sudan to focus on an effective response to the ongoing conflict there. So what is their policy regarding the conflict in Sudan?
2: That's right. So we heard a little bit of a mixed response from both Democrats and Republicans. We heard good news from the U.S. State Department. A representative said that she was, quote, cautiously optimistic that the negotiations that are ongoing in Saudi Arabia between the warring factions could indeed reach a temporary humanitarian ceasefire, which is going to be absolutely crucial in getting aid into that nation. Even before this fighting started, more than a third of the population of Sudan needed humanitarian assistance. And it's obviously that situation has been made much, much worse because of the fighting. So even a temporary ceasefire, if that can be negotiated, is going to be crucial. And the U.S. State Department diplomat told lawmakers that if that indeed happens, that ceasefire, that is a very encouraging sign for looking at a long-term democratic Transition, which is what Sudan was supposed to be undergoing anyway, when this fighting broke out about a month ago, there was a coup last year that upended all of that. A lot of US lawmakers saying that they're concerned that the Biden administration was caught unawares by that coup and hasn't really developed a comprehensive strategy for dealing with the situation in Sudan up till this point. I spoke with Democratic Senator Chris Holland, who said that, look, the U.S. is getting back on track in terms of that policy, that we want to see that ceasefire negotiated and that we want... Really, the democratic process put back in the hands of the people of Sudan. But obviously, this terrible fighting has to stop first for any of that to happen. So a really complicated, tough situation, but some encouraging signs. The Biden
0: administration says that it does have some tools that it can use to try to get these parties to come to an agreement. President Biden signed an executive order authorizing sanctions on what the administration calls those responsible for threatening the peace of Sudan and undermining Sudan's democratic transition. Those sanctions haven't been imposed yet, but the administration says it did help get the two sides to the table. And the administration says it's ready to impose these sanctions. And apparently it's convinced other countries to go along if it does go in that direction.
1: In our last topic, Ukraine's state-owned nuclear power plant operator warned that Russia planned to evacuate more than 3,000 workers from the town that serves the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. International Atomic Energy Agency Director General Rafael Grassi said that the situation around the plant is becoming increasingly unpredictable and potentially dangerous. So how concerning is this for Europe?
0: Well, Ukraine's Nuclear Power Authority says that this would result in a catastrophic lack of personnel. There's no way to confirm that. But if you have almost half of the workers there who are maintaining the plant taken away, you can imagine that's not a good thing. And even though the plant is not producing electricity at the moment, The spent nuclear fuel rods still have to be kept cool, and you need workers to do that. You don't want to have an accident or meltdown of any
1: kind. Yes, in Russia, they have occupied this power plant since the beginning of their invasion. So what does Russia hope to accomplish with taking the people out of the plant at this point?
0: Well, they say they're doing that because Ukraine is planning an offensive in that area. It's not clear what Ukraine does have planned, but that is the reasoning that Russia has cited. But again, if you look at safety, you need a certain number of people just to keep those fuel rods cool. And you don't want to have people who are exhausted and working around the clock doing that.
1: Well, it's time now to find out what is weighing on the minds of our panelists. And Catherine, what is weighing on your mind this week?
2: Well, we saw the return of Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein this week. She's had a lengthy absence from the U.S. Senate, where she holds a really key position on the Senate Judiciary Panel. That panel, of course, is responsible for advancing President Biden's judicial nominations across the country, so a really key important position. And because she was away and those margins in the U.S. Senate are so tight, Democrats were not able to advance some of those judicial nominations. There was a lot of debate about her damage to the Democratic Party, whether she should have stepped down, resigned so that somebody else could take her place. And there was a broader discussion about age and how long U.S. lawmakers should really be serving. For a lot of U.S. lawmakers, it is a ego issue. It's an issue of, you know, when do you realize that your career has come to an end? And how much good can you do if you are not really there in that position fulfilling it. So I think we're going to increasingly see that discussion as their generation ages out and more and more millennials and Gen Z come into lawmaker positions. And, you know, look at really the balance of the country and who's leading the country. I think that's going to be a really interesting debate in coming years. I'm half the age of most of these lawmakers and I don't know that I could keep up the schedule that they do. So I think we're not seeing the last of this, even though Feinstein has returned to the Senate. Very good. Thank you. And Nancy? I am thinking about
0: inflation, Kim. We got some inflation figures from the government, and the overall inflation rate is continuing to climb, but not as much. So it was up by 4.9% from the same time last year. If you strip out food and energy prices, which can be very volatile, the core inflation rate was up 5.5 percent so that wasn't quite as good and you know the price of gas was up rents were up but some prices are falling airline fares were down 2.6 percent which is pretty darn good if you went to the grocery store you probably noticed that food prices were down although It still costs more to go out to eat. Those prices are continuing to rise. But, you know, the price of fruits and vegetables was down. Egg prices were down. Dairy prices were down. So a little bit of good news that maybe... Inflation is continuing its downward path, and the Federal Reserve won't feel like
1: it has to keep raising interest rates. Good. Well, thank you both for those thoughts, and we will close the show on those notes. My thanks go to our panelist, VOA Congressional Correspondent Catherine Gibson and Marketplace Correspondent Nancy Marshall-Genzer. I'm Kim Lewis, and be sure to join us next weekend for more Issues in the News.